Colossians chapter 3, you'll find it on page 984 in the church Bibles. We're picking up Paul's teaching um, from last week. He was telling us last week what we need to put off, and now this week what we need to put on. So I say Colossians chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 12 through to verse uh, 17. Let's hear God's word together. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. I think each year I understand a little bit better why it was that the Puritans tried to ban Christmas altogether. I know, I know, Christmas is meant to be all about Christ, but all too often it's about anything but Christ, isn't it? Materialism, to name but the most obvious alternative. And then at this time of the year, the expectations are raised so high, everyone is meant to be having a good time, that if you don't feel like you're having a good time, you feel depressed. You know, this is not just the busiest time of the year for Santa. It's the busiest time of the year for counselors and pastors as well. Uh, You see, people have to hang out with their friends and family, and it makes them wonder whether they really can put up with it all anymore. The solution to all this, I have been arguing, is to remember the original purpose of the holidays. That is, they were designed to be holy days. But our understanding of holiness is so different from what the Bible means by holiness 
We need to spend time figuring out what the Bible actually says. And so we're looking at this book of Colossians. And we have discovered so far that we need power to be holy. And that power is what Paul calls being raised with Christ. That is, you cannot be holy on your own or by your own strength or power. You need the spiritual power of Christ to raise you up, to make you new. Friend, if you have not been raised with Christ, stop now and ask that Christ would raise you up. It is a hellish trap trying to be holy without the spiritual power of Christ. Ask Christ to raise you up. Only then will you have the power to put into practice the first part of the method to be holy, which, as we saw last week, is to put off or put to death these thoughts and words that are not holy. As we saw, we put them to death by developing a conviction that sin is sinful, a commitment to the process of putting sin to death, and a vision for how holiness breaks down relational barriers as we all become more like Christ himself. Well, now this morning we come to the positive side of the method to be holy. We've had putting off, now we have put on. And there are two movements in this passage. First, to focus on individual characteristics, and then on the implications of all that for the community. It begins first with the individual characteristics in verses 12 to 14. Paul says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The image that Paul is using here is of getting dressed or changing clothes. He is saying, you have been raised with Christ, so now you are a new person. Well, then take off that old set of clothes that no longer really fits you. And instead, put on the new set of clothes, being like Christ. That's what you're now designed and shaped for. It's a bit like uh, someone who loses a whole bunch of weight, and they look in their wardrobe, and all these clothes no longer really fit them. And they could keep on wearing those clothes, but it's pretty obvious to everyone, and pretty obvious to them when they look in the mirror, that those clothes no longer work for them. So they need... A new set of clothes that actually do fit. Well, that's a bit like what it is to become more holy. You've been raised with Christ, so now you are a new creation. You haven't just lost a lot of weight. Your whole personhood has changed. Your desires, your tastes have changed. You're now in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So... Put off those old clothes that no longer fit, the sexual morality, the divisive talk that we looked at last week. 
And well, now you've got to put on a new set of clothes. You're now God's chosen ones. You're his people. He picked you. He wants you. You've been raised with Christ. You are already in principle holy as you have been raised with Christ. This is who you are now. You're beloved or loved. He loves you. You're his. Now put on his way of being. Put on his clothes that match the person you really are now. Put on the clothes of being like Christ. But you see, to put on those clothes, you need first to be secure that this is who you really are now. That you are truly one of God's chosen ones, that you are holy and beloved. And to think on this, God loves you. God chose you. In Christ, you have been raised with Christ. You are therefore in principle already holy. That is, you are set apart for this new life to which you have now been chosen. You are his. He wants you. He bought you with his own blood. He, he loves you. He, he chose you. See, we think of holiness as just following a lot of rules and regulations. You know, this, don't do that, don't do the other. That's what we think holiness is. But no, that was the legalism that the Colossian Christians were being taught by the false teachers in Colossae at the time when Paul was writing this letter. No, that kind of approach to holiness won't make you holy. It'll just make you feel guilty. But it will not make you live holy. Holiness comes from the pushing in of the truth of the gospel ever deeper into your soul. You are loved. You are chosen. I will only succeed in calling you to choose and love holiness this morning if I succeed in persuading you that you are chosen and loved by God. John Owen put it like this. Holiness, he said, is nothing but the implanting the writing and realization of the gospel in our own souls. He carried on. There neither is nor ever was in the world nor ever shall be the least drop of holiness. But what flowing from Jesus Christ is communicated by the Spirit according to the truth and promise of the gospel. Holiness is the shaping of our souls into the mold of the gospel. So that as our minds and the gospel should reflect one another as face reflects face in water. Uh, A year or so ago, I uh, was fairly sick over the summer. I'll spare you the gruesome details But it meant that I lost some significant weight. I remember going into my wardrobe and looking at my clothes and beginning to try them on. The belt buckle needed to be tightened several notches. The jackets were too loose. Clothes I had not been able to wear since I was young and svelte. I could now again squeeze into just about The change you have been through, if you have become a Christian, is far more radical than losing some weight. 
You have been raised with Christ. You are loved and you are chosen. And therefore, Paul is saying, put on those new clothes. Those are the clothes that are going to fit you now. Well, what are the clothes he wants us to put on? He wants us to wear these virtues that he lists that reflect the character of Christ. Uh, He he said, compassionate hearts. That is, determined to empathize with the weak and troubled and have compassion on them. Christians are not to be those who are harsh towards other people. We are to be compassionate people. When we see someone stumble, our instinct is not to tell them off for doing something wrong. Our instinct is to come alongside, to help. Kindness. That is, the spirit-produced goodness that avoids harshness and instead meets the needs of other people. Humility. Perhaps the rarest of virtues in our self-asserting age. It is also one of the most precious. Humility is the true perspective about our own gifts and character that comes from a comparison with who God is, not with who other people are. And therefore, of course, a truly humble person is now free. He or she is no longer controlled by what people think, but now lives for what God wants and is therefore able to live as God designed them to live. Meekness. Now, we think of meekness as simply meaning gentleness or even weakness. But the biblical idea of meekness combines gentleness with strength. A meek person is a person who has great power, but that power is under control. In ancient Greek, a meek horse was a war horse that had been trained not to be frightened by the sounds of war. And a meek man or woman is a person who has power under the control of God's spirit. Patience. This is not simply being willing to wait a long time in a line at a grocery store. No, it is the virtue of having not a short temper but a long temper. A patient man or woman is someone who has a long fuse does not easily get angry or upset. Uh, A patient man or woman overlooks an offense. They're not short-tempered. They are long-tempered. And then in verse 13, Paul takes a moment longer to describe what is perhaps the most difficult virtue to put on. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Because we are forgiven people, Christians are to forgive people. 
the chief and primary barrier to forgiving other people is an overestimation of our own righteousness and an underestimation of our own forgiveness. Let me show you how that works through a powerful story of real forgiveness. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than shake that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. So Corrie Ten Boom learned to forgive. Will you? Will you stretch out your hand? If you do, it will require putting on love. For it is love that beautifully binds all these other clothes together. And, Paul says... Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
Love is the ultimate Christian virtue, for it binds together all others in perfect harmony. You are loved, you are chosen, you are beloved, therefore love. What is love? Love is the expression of all these other virtues. It is patient, it is kind, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love is the harmonious music that orchestrates all the Christ-like actions of the Christian. It is not mere sentiment. It is doing what is in the best interests of other people for the glory of God. And so we are putting on these new clothes, these clothes of the characteristics of Christ. We're putting on this wardrobe of new clothes that fit who we now are in Christ. We're putting off one set of clothes that we looked at last week, and now we're putting on this new set of clothes that we're looking at this week. And the power for all this is the risen power of Christ by His Spirit. We are a new creation, and a bit like someone who loses weight, we now need a new set of clothes that fit who we really are. And Paul's listing what these new clothes are, and we're just defining them and applying them to our own lives, especially at the Christmas season with all the possibilities for relational friction as families come together. We're calling ourselves instead to put on the clothes of Christ, all bound together by the harmonious love of Jesus. And so with that harmony of Christ's love playing in the background, Paul now moves to show us how these holy virtues we are each to put on are not solos, but secondly are put on as we clothe this one body of the community of the church. Look at verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul is saying we are to let the one body of the church be clothed with these characteristics of Christ through Christ's peace, Christ's word, and Christ's name. Christ's peace, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, Christ's peace is not a sentimental feeling of peace. Christ's peace is the objective peace that Christ's death on the cross has achieved between us and God, now ruling over all our horizontal relationships in the one body of the church. And therefore, in church, the rule of what I want is replaced by the rule of what Jesus wants. And so we have peace. We submit to the peaceful rule of King Jesus, not fight with that divisive monster of endlessly squabbling factions of king self. 
this week, I uh, didn't check my email for two whole days. It was quite a difficult thing to do. You should try it sometime. By the end of those two days, my inbox had 300 unanswered emails. Some of them were junk, no doubt. All of them were mostly encouraging and pleasing. But each of them with their own view about this, that, or the other. It's not wrong to have our own view on something. It is wrong to insist on our view to the damage of others in the one body. Instead, we must let the body be clothed with the rule of Christ's peace. And we do that through Christ's word. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So if the crown of the body is Christ's peace, Paul now switching metaphors but still focusing on community, the riches of the house of uh, the church is Christ's word. Letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly or abundantly or thoroughly or completely means the message of the Bible about Jesus filling every room in the house with the treasures of the gospel. Biblical preaching. Meditating on scripture in our own quiet times. Each of us, not just the staff, but each of us teaching one another uh, the word uh, in uh, adult communities and small groups and one-to-one discipleship, uh, discipling a younger Christian, asking someone to disciple you, telling our friends about this word of Christ, inviting people to come to church this Christmas Eve, admonishing one another in wisdom, that is, asking for God's gracious wisdom to remind each other of the word of Christ, and doing it through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This wide variety of different types of singing is to be all filled with the treasures of Christ Two, as one commentator put it, what the apostle is concerned about is that these songs are consistent with the word of Christ. Genuine Christian praise is a celebration of God's mighty acts in Christ. So Christ's peace through Christ's word and all in Christ's name. Verse 17, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything then is to be guided by the principle of the name. Can this be done in Jesus' name? If we cannot say something or do something in a way that reflects what Jesus would say or do, that is in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, then we should not say it or do it. So by the rule of Christ's peace, through the riches of Christ's word, by the principle of Christ's name, we put on Christ now in the community of the church, the one body, the house under Christ's rule. 
Now, of course, we live in an area where there are many churches. And it's easy then, all too easy, for us to think of church in preferential or even consumeristic terms. We go to this church because of this kind of program or another church because they have a a, a different approach. And in doing so, we can miss out the whole point of church. Church gets real when you don't get what you want. It is then that we find out what church is really about, which is not our individual preferences, but being one body ruled by Christ's peace through his word and all in his name. Our 8 a.m. service, our 9.30 service, our 11 a.m. services, all the student ministries and children's ministries, adult communities and small groups and on and on, all constantly energizing and expanding are all really one body. Young teenagers and mature teenagers are one body. Paul has a simple method to lubricate the sometimes creaking joints of this one body of the church, which is giving thanks. He repeats it three times. Verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The DNA of a healthy church is giving thanks and grumbling is a spiritual virus. Would you then, this Christmas, make a list, not of ways that you or other people have been naughty or nice, but a list of things for which you can be thankful. Once you start with giving thanks, it is amazing how it changes your attitude to other people in the one body of the church. So how can we be holy these holidays? It begins with finding the spiritual power we need. That is being raised with Christ. Ask Christ to raise you up to make you born again. It is a spiritual work, but it is also deeply practical. We must put off the clothes and deeds that no longer fit us as Christians, and we must put on these other clothes that now do fit us as Christians. And we're to do it in the community of the church, the one body to which we are called by being thankful. And so having Christ's peace rule through his word. And so in conclusion then, let me give us five brief ways to be holy these holidays. First, Make that list of things about which you can be thankful. Write it down. Put it on your fridge. Put it in the back of your Bible. Second, identify one of these virtues that you know you need to put on and work on and target that specifically. Is it patience? Is it forgiveness?
This Advent, as you prepare for Christmas, grow in holiness by asking God to help you put on one of these virtues in particular. And if you cannot think of one, then I suggest humility. Third, come to church this Advent, not with an attitude of resistance or reluctance, but an attitude of receptivity. Let the peace of Christ rule and the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Before you walk in the sanctuary door, breathe a silent prayer to yourself. Lord, what do you want to teach me today? You know, before I go to church, I tell God all the things that are on my mind. And then having done that, I say, but Lord, none of that may be your agenda. Tell me what it is that you want me to hear this morning. Fourth, apply the rule of the name, that whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you cannot send that email with the signature at the bottom, love Jesus, do not send it. If you cannot write that blog with the name at the bottom from the Lord Jesus, do not write that blog. If you cannot say that to your family or church member by saying this is what Jesus says in the Bible, do not say it. If you can bless someone, love someone, encourage someone, lift up someone, alleviate someone's burdens, forgive someone, all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus, then say it. And fifth and finally, this Advent, as we remember that Jesus came to save us, would you reflect on the fact that He loves you? He chose you. You can find renewal even in this tiring season by resting in the untiring love of your Savior. Pick a Christmas carol, print it out, take a picture of it on your, for your phone, uh, read it, sing it, let its words dwell in you. Here's one we're going to finish with this morning. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, light and life to all, including us, light and life. Light and life to all he brings, prince of peace, let his peace rule, born to give them second birth, ask him to raise you up, glory to the newborn king, in your life, in his church, now and forever. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, I ask that you would raise up those who do not yet have that spiritual new life. Would you do that by the power of your spirit? Would you graciously have mercy on those people here present? Would you raise them up to give them the spiritual power they need to follow you? Would you release them from legalism and condemnation and show them how much you love them? Would you raise them up by your spirit? I plead with you, would you do that, Lord Jesus?
And Father, I pray for all of us here who know you and are loved by you and know that. Lord, would you help us to put on these characteristics of Christ? Would you help us to target one specifically? And Lord, I pray for us as a body, the one body, would your peace rule through your word? And would we together, giving thanks, do all things in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.